0: The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal Subscription button at issuesetc.org. That's me in the corner. That's me in the my religion. We often talk about the secularization of America, and that's been a subject of conversation in our culture for decades now, what part of the story is not being told? When you picture the average person who says, Well, I don't have any particular religion, or religion does not play a significant role in my life or my beliefs, who do you picture? Do you picture an older person? It's more likely you picture a young adult. Do you ever picture a child, a preteen, a teenager? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about declining religiosity among American children, Lyman Stone, he's a PhD candidate in population dynamics at McGill University. He's Director of Research for Demographic Intelligence, Adjunct Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, Research Fellow at the Institute for Family Studies, and author of a column titled Secularization Begins at Home. Lyman, welcome back. It's always good to be with you. Where does the research into religious decline in America usually focus?
1: So when people talk about the decline of religion in America, usually they're going to talk about young adulthood. We envision young adults kind of entering their adult life and thinking, you know, what is my life going to be? Relocating for jobs, no longer having an attachment to a home church. This is where a lot of the public discussion is, you know, conservatives so often talk about liberal universities and are they indoctrinating kids into a progressive worldview or something like that? This this is the usual focus. Is basically young adulthood.
0: What studies have been done, including children, in the inquiry about religious decline?
1: So unfortunately, children haven't been a big part of the historic understanding of declining religion. And the reason is there isn't a lot of data on them. Now, there are a few sources of data. One's called Monitoring the Future. It's a survey that's been done every year for a few decades of like 8th, 10th, and 12th graders in schools. Another, there's a survey in 2019 that surveyed sets of parents and children. And then there's been a few longitudinal surveys over the decades that start when kids are kids. But in general, surveying children is very difficult. It's costly. And so we don't do it a lot. And as a result, when we study religion in America, usually our youngest respondents are 18, 19, 20, 21. And so we really can't observe in most cases what happens in childhood.
0: What does the decline in the childhood years actually look like in terms of the data?
1: So in those few sources where we actually have data on child religiosity, generally the youngest kids we have, and this data is gonna be like down to age maybe 14 or so, What we see in that is that young children have been getting less religious over time. And in particular, there's been a big change in like 17 and 18-year-olds since around 2001, 2002, 2003. And for like 14, 15-year-olds, there's been a big change since around 2007 to 2009. And so we see this big increase in irreligion. In young children, saying that religion is not important at all of them, that they have no religious affiliation, that they don't have any religious practice, things like that. That tends to be the age, the time period in the age at which irreligion sets in. So for example, by the end of high school, about 30% of kids will already say that religion is of no importance in their life. That's very close to the adult figure for that question. There's there's not that much more loss of religion that happens after age 18. When,
0: as far as we can tell, did this religious decline begin to occur among young people?
1: So, as I said, there's definitely a big uptick in the last two decades that uh, people who were in their teenage years in the 2000s were definitely kind of the turning point generation, the generation where secularization of childhood really went into overdrive. For example, in the 1990s, about... When we look at like 14, 15-year-olds, about 12% said religion was of no importance to them. But for 12th graders, it was only about 15%. So there was very little difference in these groups. But by 2012, about 15% of 14, 15-year-olds say that religion is of no importance to them. But about 24% of 17 and 18-year-olds say that religion is of no importance to them. So what that tells you is the teenage years both the early and the late teens became a lot more secularizing in the 2000s and 2010s. Are parents raising children in a more secular way? So when we look at this change, obviously the first place we want to look is parents. So we actually have two surveys that match children and parents. And so they allow us to get a sense of parent perspectives as well. So for example, in 2019 there was this survey of teens and parents For 13-year-olds, about 13% said religion was not at all important. And about 13% of parents of 13-year-olds said that their children were not religious. So so parents and children had a lot of agreement. But by age 15, about 22% of kids said religion was not important at all. Whereas still only about 10 or 11% of parents thought that their child was non-religious, which is to say that, Irreligion almost doubled between ages 13 and 15 in these kids, and the parents didn't notice at all. Their perception of their child's religion didn't change at all. We can also look, there's a longitudinal survey, the National Longitudinal Survey of Youth 1997 cohort. This is of children born 1980 to 1986, surveyed initially in 1997. In this survey group, about 7% of parents said that they were raising their child non-religiously. That is, they're raising their child without religion. And yet already at age 13, 11% of these kids were non-religious. And by age 17, 17% of them were non-religious. For this group, around age 20, they had reached 23% non-religious. And then there's been no change since. The last survey wave of this group was when they were 29 to 31. So what we can see is religiosity declined or irreligion rose really probably between ages 10 and ages 20 or 21. And then there was no change in religion after age 20 or 21.
0: Why aren't parents observing their children's loss of faith?
1: That is a great question. You know, I think it's not necessarily because parents aren't spending time with their kids. In fact, a lot of research suggests that parents are actually spending more time with their kids now than they did in the recent past. However, there have been changes in the socializing environments that kids inhabit. Kids spend more time in public schools because school days are longer. The school year is longer. Attendance has improved. All these things have happened that kids spend longer in public school. Public schools become more secular. Kids spend more time online. Particularly digital socialization kind of gives kids a venue to experiment with different identities, that it's the cost of pretending to be someone else online is very low. And the reality is pretending to be someone, if you do it all day, every day, and you form close relationships built around that pretend, it kind of becomes your reality. And so if you sort of explore atheism and religious skepticism online, uh, as that exploration becomes the main source where you're forming friendships and relationships, those friendships and relationships, ultimately socialize a child into irreligion, even if initially they were just sort of asking questions. And so as more child socialization has moved online, sort of out of sight, out of mind, the degree of accuracy of parents' understanding of their children's lives has declined. How big a factor
0: then is youth secularization in the overall secularization? It sounds like like it's most
1: of it. It is almost all of it. I mentioned that longitudinal study. Longitudinal data is great because we follow the same people over time. And uh, in that, you know, there's basically no secularization in that data after age 20. That secularization before age 21 is is the entire story. That's 100 percent of secularization in that generation in that data set. Using a broader cross-sectional data set called the General Social Survey that's been running for several decades and looking at different birth cohorts, yeah, we can say that. Every decade, 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, people born in each of those decades when they were 18 to 20, they all had the same religious attitudes. About 55, 60% of people born in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, when they were 18 to 20, 55 to 60% said they believed in God with no doubt at all. So that's just a nice benchmark right there, okay? But for kids born in the 1990s, only 40% said that they believed in God without a doubt when they were at ages 18 to 20. And for those kids who are now you know ages 28 to 30, there's been no change. That is say between ages 18 and 20 and 28 to 30, there was basically no change in religious views of kids born in the 90s. They just started out way more secular. And so in general, what we can say is that the vast majority of secularization, of loss of faith, happens while children are still at home, while they're still under the supervision of parents, and generally while they're still under the supervision of parents who sincerely believe that they are successfully catechizing their children
0: it's hard not to notice the advent of the internet closely coincides with youth secularization is that just a coincidence
1: as i mentioned above it's it's not just a coincidence the internet provides sort of this socializing environment where kids are unsupervised by parents or really any adult school at least has a teacher supervising the internet there's no adult supervision and also the adults who your kid is socializing with online might not be who you trust to supervise a child but really it's not even adults on the internet it's slightly older kids the social worlds of kids 13 year olds and 18 year olds have a different kind of overlap on social media because it has this flattening effect. And in fact, you often don't even know the age of the person you're interacting with. Sometimes on Twitter, you're talking to somebody and you, know, you sort of visualize people as your own age, and this person you know, is being really a jerk, has no etiquette, they're inflammatory, all these things. And then you realize later on, oh, this, this is like a 14-year-old. It's not that they're being a jerk, it's that they're literally 14. They don't know, they're still being socialized into how to interact. The internet's obviously had a big effect. Also, you know, there's a big question mark there about the growth in pornography usage. Sexual and religious identity are not the same thing, but they definitely are related to each other. So the internet has absolutely had an effect. And I should say, one of the reasons the internet has had this effect is one, because parents adopted it slower than kids, and two organizations that could have provided adult supervision on the internet have been really slow adopters. And what I mean by that is like schools could have said, you know, in 2005, we are going to start having school supervised social media platforms, right? Like we're going to build digital platforms for kids associated with their school that will be supervised by teachers. That's the thing that could have been done. It wasn't done. Ultimately, choices were made not to do that. Churches. One of the beautiful things about the internet is you can find people of shared interest. But as it happens, because the internet kind of began with like basically huge nerds, and I don't say that as a critique, it just is what it is. Basically, the the, the affinity groups that got started on the internet first were basically the things that interest a very eccentric subset of the population. Basically, techies in Silicon Valley and then you know some elite universities. That tended not to be a milieu that was very supportive of religiosity and founder effects persist for a long time. The initial founding stock of a community impacts norms for a long time. Now in 2023, you know, we do have functional online sociality. Like if, if you're a Lutheran online, it's easy to find other Lutherans, Like They've got different avatars on Twitter, their discord channels, their Facebook groups, all these things, but this was kind of a late thing. Like churches got into the game late because we basically, were slow adopters of a new technology, we seeded the field to, I would say, bad actors who basically set the tone on what internet socialization, what shape it would take forever.
0: We will return to the subject of socialization with Lyman Stone as we talk about the declining religiosity among American children. I'm Todd Wilkin, this is Issues Etc. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with The Gospel Comes to Corinth, Persecution in Corinth, Paul Returns to Antioch, Apollos, and Two Years in Ephesus. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness
1: of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for
0: mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. Educating a new generation of Lutherans. You're listening to Issues, etc. Please know that you're welcome at Ascension Lutheran Church in Niles. We believe that every word of Holy Scripture is true. Jesus died and rose again
1: for your salvation. We pray for each other, it's a priority. We help each other in times of need.
0: We help each other grow in faith. We encourage one another. We truly love one another. We have room for you and those you love. Ascension Lutheran Church. Niles and annoy. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons, or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Lyman Stone is our guest. He is research fellow at the Institute for Family Studies. We're talking about declining religiosity among American children. For the break, Lyman, you were talking about socialization. It sounds like really one of the biggest causes here is that we have a generation that has been socialized in an unprecedented way, in a way that their parents simply didn't have any experience with.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's debates about why religiosity has declined and some people argue that religiosity has declined because new arguments against religion have arisen that were more persuasive than old arguments or people are getting better educated and more informed and so they're leaving religion. And the problem with all these arguments is that as I said, most loss of faith happens in childhood when people are have pretty low familiarity with the ins and outs of these arguments. But more to the point, we know that what's happening in childhood is really just socialization. Your role models, your peers, your teachers, your parents, you emulate, right? Kids learn by emulation and imitation. And so what's happening is that we created a new space for socialization that had a new set of role models and leaders who weren't necessarily the people we would have trusted to role model and lead for our children offline. Parents and institutions ceded that influence. And then also, you know, it's not in the the post, but I do also find that in the 1990s, parents did reduce their church attendance. They did reduce their church attendance in that period. And also there have been changes in how parents think about passing on the faith. So if you talk to parents 60, 70 years ago, ask them, you know, well, how do you pass on the faith? They'd say, well, you know, we go to church. My kid memorizes the catechism. They do their memory work they're in a youth group, like their whole life is around church in some sense. It was a very thick cultural norm. And if a child considered leaving the faith, you know, there would have been a lot of pushback. But now that's no longer the case. So there's a fascinating book called Handing Down the Faith uh, that I reviewed a few years ago, where they did a huge quantitative and qualitative study of how religious parents think about parenting. What they found is most religious parents have this absurd belief that your children will become religious if they see you being religious. That if you are sincerely religious and you role model it well, then your children will be Christians. The problem is you are just one of many role models. Yes, you're a big one, but they spend more time with teachers than they do with you. Peers are a huge effect. As a parent, you have to exercise power and authority over your child's peer groups, their information consumption, their role model options. And ultimately, you can't just trust that they're going to pick it up along the way. You have to tell them what is good, true, excellent, and beautiful. And so by and large, because most religious parents have a a parenting norm that kind of relies on, we could say, osmosis, role modeling. I don't want to pressure my kid too much because then there will be backlash. A lot of religious parents are afraid of backlash that if I push them too hard, they'll reject the faith, even though there's like almost no empirical evidence that this is like erring on the side of too strict is almost always more successful at passing on faith than erring on the side of not strict enough, statistically speaking. But a lot of parents believe this. They sincerely believe that backlash is a huge thing. And so as a result, they tend to not be very intentional about raising their child in the way that they should go. And I I don't say that as a pejorative. I'm not like crapping on parents here. I am a parent and many of us were inundated with all these messages about how to be a good parent, about how to give your child creativity and individuality and lean into their gifts and all these things. And we don't get a lot of voices saying, actually, you know, you as a parent, you might know better than your kid in like a lot of areas and you should probably put your foot down on these things. That kind of counsel is not out there very much. And so parents are often just sort of hoping they're doing it right because they're emulating what other quote unquote good parents are doing.
0: In that vein, then how do parents recapture their influence over the religious beliefs of their children?
1: I would say severing toxic influences. So tight control of screen time and social media is a huge one. And screen time isn't only social media. No, that's also TV and stuff like that. And then also replacing that with other socializing influences, right? You can't just tell your kid, no screen time. You have to give them something else. And by the way, sports is not something else. Sports is television. Most TV watching is news and sports. And high sports involvement is almost as strongly associated with loss of faith as high social media usage. So you have to find something else. So what do you find? Well, ultimately, church is what it needs to be. You want it to be church. Faithful friends, sports are fine. They just can't be dominating. They can't be all of life. Cultivating other interests, right? Athletic activities uh, that are not as central to American life, right? Like if you have to choose between football and rowing, do rowing, right? It's less likely to dominate your kid's life because like, society is not going to lean into a rowing obsession as much as it would a football obsession. Getting your kids counter-programmed to have their social life, sort of family and community focused, and have the things that are a big part of their life not be orienting them towards the ongoing concerns of the world. My kids are really young. I can't say that I'm like, that I have some track record of success with my kids. I'll just say that this is generally what the research suggests is useful for a successful transmission of values across generations.
0: Lyman Stone is a Ph.D. candidate in Population Dynamics at McGill University. He's Director of Research for Demographic Intelligence, Adjunct Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, a Research Fellow at the Institute for Family Studies, and author of a column titled Secularization Begins at Home. You can read it at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Lyman, thanks. Pleasure to be with you. In hour two of Issues Etc. on this Wednesday, September the 6th, we'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. We'll get into the gospel reading that has Jesus healing 10 lepers in Luke chapter 17 with Pastor Peter Bender next. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Join us September 29th at 7 p.m. for a hymn festival celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Collinsville, Illinois. Hymn commentary will be provided by Pastor Will Whedon, host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, along with organist Chris Lemker, orchestra, and choir. For more
1: information or to register to sing in the choir, visit our website withangelsandarchangels.org.